Uh, this is a little bit older podcast, but most of you guys have probably not heard it. Uh, taking you back to like my first nationally released album where I go through each song and um, just talk about some of the history behind it and all that good stuff. At the very end of this podcast, I'm going to put an exclusive track from that era. You may or may not have heard. Uh, if you like this song, you can get it as a download, uh, becoming a patron at P-A-T-R-E-O-N. That's patreon.com forward slash KJ52. Also, make sure to check out my Kickstarter. What's going on? We are close to 35, I think 40% funded on the Jonah movie, the documentary about my life. Uh, when you do that, you get music, old music, new music, and all kinds of other stuff that we're adding here as an incentive. So love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Thank you. God bless. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, KJ5 2 Welcome to Storytime with Uncle Tweezy. That's right, the podcast where I take you literally behind the music. No pun intended. Well, pun intended. Uh, and so I thought this would be a cool way to uh, give you some background on some stuff. And so in this case, I got the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. <laughs> Frankie Rosado, a.k.a. Brown Study, a.k.a. Hype right. Man Extraordinary. <laughs> and uh, so we were driving. We're still driving. And he had a bunch of questions about my very first commercially released album, Seventh Avenue. Woo! So this, I guess, occupies sort of a, an emotional space for you. <laughs> you want to go ahead and uh, and, uh, and tell, tell, well, okay, tell people why this is a big deal. The funny thing is that I was in the seventh or eighth grade <laughs> when this album was in my hand. Just, things just got real, people. Just so you know, Frankie travels with me, and no, he's not still in high school. <laughs> no, I'm a grown man now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this was like one of the first like Christian hip hop albums that I fell in love personally. Like this was like yo front to back, let it play. I had it in my anti-skip CD player Walkman. It had to have an anti-skip though. Yeah, you gotta have bass boost. <laughs> bass boost. And shuffle. That, that, that was the original iPod. Yep. So, so um, you were yeah. you were saying, and you actually kind of told me one time that we had met. <laughs> yes. You pre- can't. <laughs> a year or two later, after this, after you had had that record. Yeah, you came to my church, and you performed at our youth group, and then. The youth pastor knew that I was a fan, so he made me be your, like, assistant for the night. Which... <laughs> which I was freaking which, out. Which I can give you full disclosure. <laughs> Anytime someone gives me an armor bearer, I generally just make up things for them to do because <laughs> I definitely have control issues. So, in this case, a lot of times churches will go, hey, here's your assistant. Whatever you need, he can do. I can tell you that they can never do whatever I need, <laughs> <Nope>. usually. Usually... <laughs> Whatever I tell them to do, they just kind of stare at me blankly and try to do it, and they end up making it worse. So if I say, hey, can you count those shirts? What shirts? The shirts over there. Oh, okay. How do you want me? I'm like, I end up spending more time telling them how to do it than actually doing it. I end up doing it myself. But, continue. So, my job at the table was to help open the CD cases for you. And I couldn't figure it out. And we're back to square one. <laughs> and these kids are waiting, and you're like, "Okay, you got the next CD ready?" Uh, uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm nervous. <laughs> I've seen grown men break down on trying to open a shrink wrap CD case. There is a certain way to do it. You take your thumbnail, slide down the middle part, pops open. 
I'm sure I probably showed it to him, but anyway. yeah. Now after that, I do it that way. I but, digress. Well, so, so this you were how old was how old were you then? Were you still in the youth group? Yeah. So I was like what, four, 13, 14? Hilarious. Yeah, 13, 14. So I've been uh, I've been around for a minute, and uh, <laughs> flash forward a couple years later, um, many ah, maybe ten years later, maybe. Yeah, same maybe yeah. ten years later. My old DJ uh, had brought Frankie and his then girlfriend, now wife, in for a show. They were in a group, and Frankie <laughs> had a group called "I Am the Host." Yeah. But his stage name also was Brown Study, <laughs> and it also I was so confused because it said featuring "I Am the Host" and also Brown Study. <laughs> so I think I opened up for the show, or I was helping him out. He was promoting the show, and he. Hey, how are you? He's like, oh, how you doing? I said, like, which one are you? He goes, I'm the host. I'm like, you're the host of the show? No, 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 no. I am the host. It's the name of the band. Oh, well, which one are you? I'm the host. No. Uh. And you go, just call me Brown Study. Okay. But hold on, I got to go on stage. It's I am the host. I was so confused. Anyway, um, so long story short, Frankie just had a good just a good attitude about him and uh, I think I was doing a show where Fort Myers uh, yeah I was doing an album release party or something like that and I was like oh you want to come down and I'll try you out as a hype man and being a good hype man is an art form in itself because basically like you have to have enough of an ego to be good on stage but not enough of an ego to try and steal the (laughs) show so it's a weird balance and most rappers can't handle it because they're trying to go for self but as a testament to his character, my son, who now is eight, back then was probably four, three, something like that, we, we would sit down to pray every night. i say, anybody you want to pray for? Every night he would go, dear God, help the man with the really big hair. Because Frankie had like a Koopa Trooper haircut. It was massive. So you touched a three-year-old's life enough that he prayed for your hair. <laughs> speaking of hair, it. speaking of hair, you still have the hair. Yep. You are a uh, you are a full time, say, barber slash hairstylist slash wedding slash. planner. No, wife not is a, the wedding, not a wedding planner. Okay. <laughs> so Frankie's been traveling with me off and on for the last couple of years, and uh, so just to give you a little background about this. And so we, as we're literally traveling from Denver to Colorado Springs. He's getting all nostalgic for his childhood. <laughs> he wants to talk about this album. Now, it's really hard for me, to be honest with you, to talk about old records, to listen to old records, mainly because, like, I... It's like looking at your yearbook picture, you know? It's like going, oh, let's go back and look at your fifth-grade yearbook picture when you had that terrible mullet haircut and your mom put you in a turtleneck. Oh, this is true. Whereas your mom <laughs> looks at the picture and goes, oh, you're so cute! You're so, like, why did I do that? But... Wait, am I the mom? Pretty much. <laughs> anyway, so I always have a hard time re-listening to it because I'm, I'm very perfectionistic. And so, like, I always look back and go, oh, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. But I also have to understand that where music sits in someone's emotional, you know, library is different than where it was for me. So I do love going and sharing stories behind the music and stuff like that. So we thought what we would do is I'm going to let him ask the questions about 1st 7th Ave. And uh, we'll play a couple songs, and we're doing this very high-tech as we recorded off a voice memo. (laughs) (laughs) So, 7th Ave, for those people that don't know, was like my first commercially released record. Now, granted, I had done a record before that 
a golden child uh, independently called Insightful Comprehensions. That was a few years before. And then, then I had done an EP as King J. Mack way back in the day. So that while this wasn't my first rodeo, it was definitely like my first introduction. That was my first record deal. It was my first, you know, music in the stores. But the way this record happened was actually I had um, done most of it independently before the deal. So I basically got a record deal and they took the record, Todd Collins and Essential Records, took the record and re-put it out and kind of like re re reproduced it, you know, like tightened it up. We did a few new songs. So we got it remixed, you know, like, so there was... So essentially, this record was actually recorded. I started it in 1998. So when wow. it dropped in 2000, it was almost a year and a half old to me. So if anybody ever goes, "Oh, why don't you sound like this from back then?" It's like that record is literally right now, 17 years ago. <laughs> wow. So just to give that as perspective, but I got it queued up on Spotify, <laughs> and uh, we're gonna play it over the loudspeaker or whatever. So where do you want to start there? Let's go back to your childhood. Where do you want to start? All right. What's um, the next song? We don't have to do the intro. Okay, so the intro. We're skipping the intro. This skipping is... the intro. One, two, three. <laughs> oh, this is going to be happy thoughts. <laughs> Yo, I like to want it. some bloody water. I'm coming next to you with the cloud. I'm even raised in eternal Jaja. Eternal father. Flowing in the sip of water. You rhyme the sky. Spotify, you're not being um, So that is a guy by the name of Yankee Man, and he went by Yankee Man because he was not a Jamaican. <laughs> what? He was uh, he was a DJ I met. He was like a street. He was like a Florida DJ. When I say Florida DJ, they have this music in South Florida that was from way back called Jam Pony, where you would take a song and you would cut the beat real quick and you would yell another rap and then play it again. It was like very unique to Florida. So I met him at a show and I think I was opening up or whatever and he just all of a sudden cut into into a dance hall like a dance hall at Patois is what he started cutting mm. into and I was just like dang like you can legitimately sound you sound really like you could slang Patois he's like well I grew up around and especially in Florida you just grew up around a ton of yeah. Caribbeans he goes but I'm not Jamaican so that's why I call myself Yankee man so a Yankee is someone not from Jamaica so when I was doing the, the album, I wanted to have something. I was really kind of into I grew up listening to dance hall and reggae. My parents played it constantly. So I was like, it'd be cool to have something that fuses the two. And I had that beat from a guy out of Connecticut named Ja Fingers. And I sent the beat to um, 
Yankee Man. He came by the studio. All this whole record, most of it was recorded in uh, a, a little studio in Riverview, Florida, when I was still a youth pastor, and I would drive up on my off day. So you were a youth pastor when you recorded this? Almost the whole record, yeah. Oh. I was an inner city youth pastor down in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, and so I, I had a, somebody at the church give me the money to record the album. But instead of recording the album, I spent... No, they gave me money to, to make up CDs and tapes to give away. And instead of doing that, I <laughs> spent it all on making the album. And... Uh, hey. Long story short, yeah, I was funding it that way. I only had one day off a week, and I took that one day to drive up to Riverview, Florida, and record it. So he came through and uh, laced it, and there was actually a rich. Here's what's so. This is how clueless I was. I originally wrote like a 30 bar verse for this song. Whoa! <laughs> like this song, that first 16 was not a 16. Yeah. It was like a stupid 24 long bar verse and then he did his part and then I had another guy that eventually got taken off the song unfortunately um, when the when the album was actually made uh, so I, I remember being really upset at the producer Todd Collins who had got <laughs> me my record deal because he wanted to chop my verse up into like two verses and I was like how dare you <laughs> I didn't know how to count a verse like a verse is usually 16 bars yeah I didn't know how to count it so I just wrote till I was done yep so I was really like irritated that he cut it up into two separate this is my art yeah like into two separate <laughs> verse. like he made it into a song song yeah but uh this song I think I put it first is because it was like one of the first songs I would come out with live and it always kind of killed it and, and the chorus was catchy enough that people could oh, follow yeah. even if they didn't understand the patois part Sweet. So anyway, that was the deal. And then, oh, and a funny side note is that basically, like, I ended up <laughs> seeing him just recently, a couple months, like a month ago. Oh, yeah. I said, "Dude, you've never collected any royalties on this song. Like, there's money sitting for you, <laughs> publishing wise." And he had such a humble heart. He was just like, "No, nah, man, you know, like." He's like, "Yo, just keep them, keep it as my donation to you." I'm like, "I don't get the money. <laughs> like, I wrote you as a writer, you know." So. It's kind of funny, but long story short, that's the deal. You want to go to the next track? Let's go to the next track. All right. That actually is one of the few songs I do like listening to. Yeah, uh, let's see. What is the next track? <laughs> oh, it's, it's saying, wait a minute. Oh, I just, you know what? We have no service. Oh, no. There's no service. Technology has crashed. This is what we're trying. All right. Ding, what ding, else do you want to know? Ding, 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 we'll ding, ding, ding. I'm in a glass case of emotion. Oh. Did I just press the red button? Yeah. Alright, we're back. Apparently. Oh, 
on now, so what's your crew waiting on? Hustle is born, swinging swords like Voltron. And I can go on like sentences that run on. About my God, move from now to the eons. He's running things no matter what planet you be on. From the LA to the NYC. And all points in between. I still know it. I'm grabbing pens, open up the folders. I got my pages to roll the roller boots, lace like a soldier. You couldn't move the crowd with that. I just made a pager reference. That's how you know. This is a long time ago. I made a pager punchline reference. I got more pages than Motorola. Yo. So, let me... Let me you transformed like the Decepticons. Everything I wrote back then was what I would call the punch punch rhyme style. So I would just constantly keep pages and pages of similes. You know, like, I'm XYZ. I'm blank like blank. My God is blank like blank. This is why I'm blah, 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 blah. And I really came from like a battle rap-esque sort of background. So like that was how you battled. You battled with similes. And like... Like... So guys. when I would run out of rhymes when I was writing, I would just start pulling similes in from... That I had. So I would literally keep... While I would write it, I would keep pages of similes in front of me. And just be like yanking. Oh, that's cool. And like insert them here and there. So that's why, like, the style is just, like, I grab the mic, wait, is this mic on, grip it like a python, something, something, I got more pages than Motorola, if you cut <laughs> me, I'll probably bleed Krylon, yeah. I was really into graffiti writing, which yeah. I back down doing that, but, but I remember, I remember this beat real clearly, because this is, like, one of the first beats that Todd sent me, when we were, I didn't even think I had a record deal yet. No, I'm sorry. This beat came later. This was later. Uh, and I remember it was... In 10 miles, turn left onto Powers Boulevard. <laughs> Thank you, sorry, for that interjection. Uh, I remember that beat because it was after I got my record deal, and it was kind of... It was like the closest thing I came to a Dirty South beat, like wanting to rap over a Dirty South beat. Because I was very East Coast... New York mentality, True. and this beat reminded me of something Timberland would have done. Oh yeah, yeah, I can so, hear that. Yeah, so like I was like, that's why I always loved Timberland, mm -hmm. and it kind of had a Timberland esque, like, bow, 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 yeah, bow. Like, yeah, kind of vibe to it. So when I did it and recorded it, I was trying to get as many cosines as I could. So Verbs, Nota Verbs at the time, who was down with Grids, had just put out his record through Goatee. I knew Verbs a little bit from, uh, I knew him from uh, from that, and I also yeah. knew him, because Todd had just gotten done fin finishing his record, so Todd was like, well, you should get Verbs to jump on it, and I was like, yeah, I need, I I need as many, like, yeah. I need as much help as I can get, because I felt, I kind of felt, honestly, back then, I really felt insecure as an MC, and I felt like... I couldn't hold down a whole record by myself, and I felt like I needed as many guest features as I could. Get and, that uh, cosign. Yeah, cosigns, and just like I felt like, oh, you know, I was almost gonna put somebody on every song at the time. 
So, oh, that's a, that's another podcast. That's called collaboration. We have to yeah, wait for that one. Exactly. <laughs> so, any, I'm sorry, I'm dominating. The, the no, you good. Any question? Any other? I'm thinking I'm missing here. Uh, I just <laughs> I just found the I just found the cover. Someone I remember one time when I did that cover. Someone said yeah. you look like Larry the Cucumber. What? So <laughs> <laughs> like. They said my hoodie looked like Larry the Cucumber. Oh, it's I don't like, know why I'm reaching for the camera. I think every rapper has done a reach for the camera shot at yeah, some point. The, or the fisheye yeah. lens. So I'll go to the next one. The next one's called The Hard Way. It's a remake uh, of a DC Talk song. Which I didn't know it was a remake. Yeah. Well, there's a long story behind this one. I'll, I'll tell you in a second. Just like this. Okay, so here's the deal. First of all, that's a remake of the DC Talk song, The Hard Way, which was off Free at Last. That was the last song I recorded for the album. In fact, it was two, three months after I had finished the record and like two months before the record was supposed to come out. So basically, I did the whole record and then I was like, are you sure we're done? They're like, yeah, you're done. The label's like, you're done. The record's done. We feel like the record's done. And then two months before they go, oh, we don't have a radio single. We need you to come back up to Nashville <laughs> and record another song. And they were like, they wanted, because I was on Essential Records where Jars of Clay was, okay. they wanted to me to remake a Jars of Clay song because they had the rights to it. Well, Jars of Clay shut it down. Oh. They said, no, you're not allowed to remake any of our songs. I did do actually do a remake, but they wouldn't let it come out. Mm. So... You keep in mind, like Christian hip hop at that time, like was in such an infancy. It oh, was yeah. it was in such an infancy. Um, <laughs> you had like five artists to pick from, basically. <laughs> uh, can you pause that for a second? I got it. Okay. Anyway, so they were like, "Oh, we need to remake a DC Talk song," and I'm like, "Here we go." I'm like, "Here we go." Like, enough respect to DC Talk, but I was like, "That's not me." You know, I'm like. I'm a, you know, I was a backpack, rapidy rap, rap, rapper. <laughs> so, like, I was like, it's just not going to work. I said, but if I'm going to remake one, I said, it's got to be something. I'm going to have to pick it. So I always loved the Hardway song off that record, which, by the way, that record is hands down my favorite DC Talk record. It was a phenomenally produced album. But, uh, so here's where my man Toby Mac came to the rescue so because it was a completely different record label we were like it's going to be hard to get this cleared toby actually pushed for it and allowed and got it to go through 
Wow. So that was always awesome. remembered that, which I really didn't know him from Adam. And uh, obviously him and Todd were, you know, a label goatee records. But So he, he made it happen. But the funny thing is, if you listen to that chorus, that's Todd singing the chorus. Now, I want to say also, sidebar, he is doing auto-tune 15 years or 12, 10 years prior T-Pain doing the exact same thing. So if you listen to the effect on his voice, it's an over-auto-tuning effect that producers knew how to do to give it that vocoder sound. This is before anybody ever did it. Like, you never heard that. You heard it with, like, Cher. Believe the love of the love of the love of the love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did that same effect to give it that cool sort of auto-tune effect. But that was predating. radio single. Yeah, it was predating anybody doing that. Except for like share and like one other person, so yeah. I remember hearing it. And I was like, Todd, you don't like you don't sound like yourself. He's like, Oh, I did this thing where you over auto tune the thing and it gives it that effect. So anybody that ever get got on my case for using auto tune because it was trendy, I did it before all y'all. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Other funny story when I was listening to this record. And then I got the greatest hits of DC Talk. Yeah. And I go, hey, it's so KJ song. <laughs> Poor little Frankie. Right. Oh. Well, the, you know what is so funny too? Here's 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 my side note, okay? This is this will put everything in perspective. So at the time, you know, I was known for being Sons of Intellect, which was like super underground, Wu-Tang, rappy rap, rap, rappy <laughs> yeah. rap. When this record came out, the amount of backlash I got about being too commercial and too pop and too XYZ, you know, people were like, oh, you sold out. Like, I got a lot of flack for that song from the Christian rap community. They said I sold out and I was this, 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 and this. Here's why that whole, here's why I don't believe any of those type of statements. Because 15 years later, people go, Yo, man, 7th Avenue was when you were at your rawest, son. Like, people go... (laughs) I'm like, all things are so based on a perspective. Like, at the time, people thought I was such a commercial sellout for this album. Whereas now, people go, yo, you were so raw and, like, underground hip-hop. I'm like, I did a DC Talk remake. (laughs) Like, anybody that say I'm so raw... And da, 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 da. It's like that song negates anybody's <laughs> argument. But the point is, all that is based on perspective. Yep. No matter where music hits you is how it hits you. It's not, you know, like. But the other side note was that this record was like a commercial flop. <laughs> <laughs> so I put this out through Essential Records, and within six months, I got dropped by the label. Oh, and man. so, like, this record only sold like twenty thousand copies, you know, out well, the gate. I had it did, one. it did really poor, and compa- they thought it was going to do this massive amount of numbers. And the parent label, which was Jive, dropped me. So it was a really tough time. And and uh, at the same time, John Rubin had come out and had done like seventy thousand, fifty thousand copies, and done like basically twice as much. Really? They, yeah. In other words, basically, this record was too underground for the Christian market. Oh my gosh. Which is hilarious in hindsight, right? Yeah. To where we are now. But back then, you know, like no one had ever sold 100,000 copies. Christian rap was in a complete infantile state. Like nobody had ever sold any records. Yeah. So, and I was on a major label, so it was like, you either, pre- I was on the same label that was owned by, you know, Backstreet Boys and, and Britney Spears. 
Wow. Jive Records owned Essential. So like, oh, that's right, Jive. Yeah. Jive Turkey. I wasn't I wasn't signed to Jive, but they owned the company. But yeah, they owned it. And they yeah, were yeah. they were they obviously were, not a Christian label. No, but they so, were like the kings of pop absolutely. at that time. Yeah. Two thousand. So I got dropped quickly. Which made me learn a lot. And it, this song didn't really connect the radio outside of like stations that would play Christian rap. So like But you know, like, you learn the hard way. You learn the hard way. Shut up. Unintended. Alright, so this one, uh, I'm only gonna play for one second because I was very mad. Why? I, I used to love this, this one. I hated this song. No, I love I this hated one. This song. Alright, we're stopping right there. No, hold up. That oh. song, the whole turn left onto Powers Boulevard. Siri. That song got changed by the mix, and I couldn't stand it. I never did it live. It was a completely different song oh. that I did independently. So we're not even gonna talk about the song. It's still painful for me. Okay, next. Do you want me to go the skit? Skip the skit. Melvin's not Wait, here. Which Melvin's no? Not here. We gotta go, Melvin. We okay. gotta go, Melvin. This is, okay, so <laughs> let me play the skit first. Turn left onto Powers Boulevard. Yes, you know. Melvin, Melvin's not here. In one point two miles, <laughs> make a U-turn at Voyager Melvin's Parkway. Melvin's not here. Could you tell him Golden Child called? The Golden Child? No, Melvin's not here. I don't Okay, so <laughs> let me explain what that is. First of all, I'm gonna be full disclosure and just tell you that that was literally just to make the record longer. <laughs> What? So like when I was getting done, you know, everyone basically had you had to have like 15, 20 cuts on a record. Yeah. So I just started throwing random skit stuff that I had <laughs> recorded on the record just to make the record look like it was longer. Yeah. But the okay, so that that skit is Golden Child from like 4 years prior and we used to just on drives to pass the time, I had a little handheld tape recorder. And we would just basically imitate our friends and just dumb inside jokes that like only we knew the joke. <laughs> so Melvin, shout out to Melvin. Melvin shout was a friend. <laughs> Melvin was a friend that was really influential uh, in my early days as far as hook up with shows and stuff. But he lived with his mom who didn't speak any English. <laughs> so every time I would call to speak to him, his mom only had basically one response, which was, Melvin's not here. <laughs> so, no matter what she said when you called him, is Melvin there? Boy, he not here. You know he'll be back? Oh, he not here. Uh, can you tell my cold? Oh, hey, Melvin, he not here. <laughs> so, we were just like, we just thought it was hilarious, like, that basically, like, she just had no answer. So that's Golden Child imitating her. Anyway, that's it's so dope, but it's, it's so, so funny because I remember listening stupid. to that skit and just laughing, just yeah. be like, I didn't know the inside joke, but I was no. like, this is hilarious, like yeah. it's so well, random. I think everyone's had a bad phone experience with somebody. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is uh, do what I do. Play that real quick. 
By the way, yeah, yeah. that's that's a sample from like Super Friends, which we did not clear, so they oh, could totally sue us. Oh my gosh. Right now. Yeah, yeah. Why do I do what I do? Why do you do? Yo, people ask me why I do what I do. Why do I do what you do? They say why I do what I do. Why do I do what I do? Like this. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I do these strong guards and feelings. Second, to make you happy. Scary memories. Based on like real situations, like basically, I would be at shows and constantly dudes were trying to battle, and I'm like, Christian rappers. I was like, I don't have time for this right now. Like, yeah. like that was my way of going. Okay, you want to battle? Fine, but I gotta handle this first. But that was an interesting song because I I envisioned that song being like a red man kind of joint. Yeah. Very baseline driven. Yeah. And like punchline, 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 punchline. And so that that was a beat Todd sent me before I even got my record deal. Like I, it took me almost six months before I actually got my record deal with Todd because he was uh, he, things didn't work out with Goatee. But long story short, he had sent me that beat and came to Miami where I opened up for the Katinas oh, at, at a church in Miami. I never forget it. And I threw that beat on while he was in the audience. And the crowd just like went bonkers. Like it, it was one of those beats that as soon as it dropped, it killed the crowd. It just killed it. And that's when Todd was like, "Yo, like this dude, you know, like he's rocking with my production. We can have a working relationship." Yeah. And that was actually the song that got eventually got me the record deal with Essential because mm. they thought the the hook was so catchy. And uh, you know that's what I'm saying. Like first of all, I do this for God's revealing. Second, yeah. Third. But I I will never forget that line. I was like, who wants to battle in this MC contest? No time for that. I'm busy battling my flesh. And that was like, for me as a young, inspired MC, I was like, yo, that's what's up. That's how it should be. You know? Like, yeah, everyone wants to battle. Second. Third. Third. Yeah, that's a great hook. Like that. I'm like, so but at that <laughs> at that era, if you rapped, if you were doing hip hop, yeah. 
you weren't allowed to smile. Here's why that line I was like really worried about. Like I was like, that's kind of offensive if you're anorexic. It's not the most sensitive thing to say. That's about that it. That was the battle of seeing That was the battle. Okay, so back then, here's where I've struggled. I struggled with the part of me wanting to be the battle rapper and to have people's respect as an MC versus knowing, you know, like... The ministry. The ministry aspect. Yeah. So I hadn't really figured out how to walk the line mm -hmm. between the two. And if you notice, like, after this record, I don't really go back to that punchline, I'm so dope, you're not anymore because this record what I would hear constantly was yo you're a dope rapper yo you have dope punchlines but I wasn't hearing that song changed my life or that song brought me to Christ and I was starting to realize like I was putting all my treasure in wanting people's respect versus saying lines that will impact somebody's life it's yeah. the difference between someone going oh you're skilled at what you do versus that, you know, that changed my life. Yeah. So there was a definite shift after this album for me to go, I got to write stuff that's going to impact people for eternity. Yeah. Versus being the dopest rapper in the, on the block. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, like I said, most of this record was written in 98, so I was still like on that, <laughs> you know. I mean, the lines were written in 99, it came out in 2000. <laughs> I'm gonna skip the skits and go to rock the mic. Yeah. <laughs> Another song we did not get a clearance for. It's a remake. Oh. Rapper's Life. <coughs> no. no. No, that's uh, Jam On It. Oh. I knew it was. Yes. As it goes with this, shut it down this. Just the K to the J, J to the 5, 5 to the 2. It's time to get live. Party people in the house, you be feeling all right. Throw your hands in the air, wave your side to side. Actually, the first song I ever produced, even though I'm not credited as the producer, which technically I'm not, but basically, here's what happened. So we're at the tail end of the album. I'm, I'm in Nashville working on it, mm -hmm. and Todd and the label decide to go to Vegas to a Mike Tyson fight. <laughs> it's so random. Well, that's how they used to definitely roll back then. That was baller central days where people would just be like... Hey, let's go to New York City. Why? Just because. So they, the label and Todd went to Vegas to a Mike Tyson fight. And I was still in the studio with the engineer. 
and we still didn't really feel like the record was finished. And so I used to do a thing in my live show where I would do a complete outfit change on stage. So basically, like, I would come out dressed one way, like my regular gear, yeah. and then underneath it I would have, like, a b-boy tracksuit. <laughs> so I would, like, just, cha- like, literally on stage, take off the shirt, take off the pants, look like a breakdancer, and then I would do this, like, old-school portion of my show. I've always kind of had, like, a, a penchant for theatrics, I guess you could say, so... Yeah. I knew that the old school stuff was working, you know, like it, it worked live, and I thought, man, I need to do something that's like an homage to old school hip hop, which it sounds so funny to say that because that's like 1999, and yeah. I'm pulling songs that were maybe 10, 15 years ago before that, which really isn't that long, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But that song I sampled was called Jam On It by Nucleus, which was like my, as a kid, was like my roller skating joint. <laughs> and I love that bass line. And so I went to the engineer and I said, here's what I want to do. I want to take the melody from Jam On It and combine it with the drums from Eric B and Rakim's uh, I Ain't No Joke. Oh. So he literally sampled, he sampled the kick and the snare from I Ain't No Joke, which had that really great bottom end. And yeah. he played. He re, the engineer replayed the melody, and boom, the song was basically done. Like, I came with the idea, he executed, it, and then later on, Todd like fleshed, obviously produced it, and fleshed it out. Yeah. But here's what's so funny. Like, we didn't clear any of that. Like, we didn't go. Oh yeah, let's get permission. Like literally, we put the song out and just gave them the whole publishing on the song. Yeah. Which is not legal that's not the way you do it like <laughs> I guess I mean it's, we didn't take their royalties or we didn't take their like we didn't actually like steal their yeah. you know you their melody gave we, we gave them full songwriter credit so I literally make nothing off that song exactly. nobody made anything off that song except for them but there was no actual permission got they could have <laughs> still made a a, a, uh, like a, a case, case to yeah. say we don't want you to recreate our song. But those are like the early days where sample clearance and like, you know, I mean, technically it it's not a strict. sample. Yeah. It's not a sample, it's an interpolation. But you still have to get permission. But the label was just like, all right, sure, sounds good. <laughs> like in hindsight, it's the dumbest way to, it really makes no sense to do that. You could definitely not get away with that today. Nope. You know, but anyway, that was like one of my favorite joints. And so I wrote, like, lyrically, I just said, oh, it'd be cool to, like, pull phrases from all this, you know, classic lines and stuff like that. So. And that was one of the reasons, one of the things that made me even more of a fan, though. Yeah. Because I was, like, you know, growing up listening to old school hip hop with my father or my uncles and stuff. And I was like, yo, this guy is a real MC because he respects the old school, you know? It was just like, it was that checklist. I was like, and this is why this album's great. (laughs) So I'll skip the skit, the Cypher All-Stars, but... Oh, Cypher's All-Stars? That was just... Check, check. I forgot about this! (laughs) 
Yo, my man K. Why these cats talk sense familiar like this and like it meant? It's like Babylon Tower, trying to ascend. Me and man, force guards to wave a balance. They hail demoniacs, moving like gamuts and outlandish parameters. I seek refuge in cabins, hidden from slander, the ways of living. Every day is given. I used to squander my loot on drugs and crazy women. Lacing these, blending up with cinnamon. Last days of I collide with my own thought, caught in the dark, spark, illuminate whatever vessels, questioning my existence, living in bliss. Touch this, understand my style is in the clutch of the doubt. Speak the truth, live the proof, walk it out, no doubt. Golden child, come up front, speak it out. I'm uh, over saw a fortress and do support this. A metamorphosis, change in my hitless. I spit this rebel etiquette and dismiss the empress. I am your fist, class my throat, reptile culture. Who enlist with this miss? Lustfulness, make men wanna catch up with this. Like sirens with the tyrants and minds of holy sires in the fires. Filled by desires, wildfires, falling back off of wires. Catch these demons out and higher. Strategically, I maneuver through concrete landscapes. Even behind yellow tape, you can't escape urban beat. Dropping lyrical gems like diadems. It's just yours control, like the pens. But listen up, friends, this week is not done. Got here telling for Lika La Opa with no translation, son. In three quarters of a mile, turn right onto Charlotte Parkway. I might concentrate, don't underestimate. Verbally, I inflate like the Ruedas. Got you drinking and living out while I'm out for the whole day. Yo, the this whole part is freestyle this Yeah. <laughs> so here's a joint with two guys from Crossroads. 
My favorite! <laughs> Maybe I just need to, you know, say something to get into it a little bit. I don't know. Yo, it's flatted. You know how I do. I can arrange two days with eight times two. I ain't no stop to that. Turn right onto Barnes Road. In heaven light, turn right onto Charlotte Parkway. to Charlotte Parkway. In a quarter mile, turn right. Obviously, collaborating with Cross Movement was a big deal to yeah. me because I was a huge fan. But especially those two guys, they were like my two favorite MCs in the crew. Um, and uh, long story short, uh, Ambassador had really helped me through a time, maybe about a year prior, where I was ready to quit and I was ready to stop rhyming, period. I was going to give up. So he really spoke into my life and told me not to quit, not to stop, and just encouraged me to keep going. And consequently, he also came and... Um, they performed at my church when I was a, a youth pastor. So they were the only group that ever went into the projects with me to help pass out uh, flyers and, and stuff like that. And they rocked it for like, you know, 80 project kids. So that's really where the song came from. And, and they didn't really do a lot of collaborations outside of their camp. So that was like yeah. kind of a an, an, an odd thing to hear or to see. Um, and I remember they sent me the verse and I was like super amped and it was just a banging song and I I uh, actually had True Life produce that. He did that beat. Yeah. And it was like the only beat that Todd did not touch on the album. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it was just perfect. The song was perfect. And on a small disclosure, that chorus is kind of almost ripped off from Capone Noriega. <laughs> really? You remember the song T O N Y? T O N Y, rep N Y. It's not ripped off, but it was definitely inspired, it was inspired by yeah, yeah, yeah. by T O N Y. I used to love the beat because I was just like, this is so Wu Tang. Yeah, it was like. very, it was very <laughs> but I'll tell you what, we're going to go ahead and stop here. We'll yeah. pick back up tonight when we drive back to Denver and we'll finish up. All right. All right, so as you can probably tell by the pounding hurricane sounds around us, we're, we're, at, our, we're at our show, but. It's outside and can't do anything because it's raining. So we're literally sitting 10 feet from the sound system with nothing to do, so I might as well finish this up. 
Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, SOI, and then that was the second to last song, and so the original, no, I'm sorry, then I did a skit called, this is not the same order. No, it's not the same it's order. It's a different order. Yeah. Anyway, I did this skit called Mickey Cakes, which... Hey Vito! Vito! Vito, pass me this door. Vito, what's the three words? Hey, hold this. Hey, hold that! Hey, hold that! Hey, it's Mickey. <laughs> oh, Sorry. Oh, it's that. Yeah, it's that. Pull up. Rewind. Oh, we're having a little trouble here. All right, so let me. While this figures out <laughs> what it wants to do, um, Mickey Cakes was a skit that we used to do when I was a youth pastor as a skit that I did for um, my youth group and the guy at the time whose, whose rap name at the time was Supplanter then became Billy Puddles he was interning for me that summer and so we made up this character called Mickey Cakes well Mickey Cakes is an actual snack food company <laughs> it is? And so yeah it's called a Mickey Cake you can get a Mickey Cake and so I think we were in like some ghetto hood supermarket and he just started acting like a mafia guy, and I did too. I'm like, hey, it's Mickey, hey, Mickey Cakes, hey. <laughs> so that became this skit. Whoa. Uh, All right, so go ahead, <laughs> let's play Hillsong for no particular reason. Um, so basically, like, it became a skit that we would do. And so then, again, me just trying to make the record longer. <laughs> uh, I made this skit. I went to this guy's house to record it. So when you hear me like banging stuff, I'm just kicking bottles in his room. Oh my god. So gosh. the skit really doesn't make a lot of sense as usual. I got the uh, chicken fried meat music patties. What? Forget about it. Vito, come here. Chicken fried. Vito, did you order the red patties? Yeah, forget about hey. it. Hey! Chicken fried meat patties. Excuse me. Excuse me, will you please let somebody stir me up? No, John, come on, get out of here, kid! Come on, duck, get out of here! Bye, bye, Vito, I don't know. These kids be coming out of nowhere, you know what I'm saying? They be coming. Yo, anyway, what's the three letter word for. What's the three letter word for. Hey, who this? Who this? It's Mickey Chase. Mickey, who? Cakes, I man. got the door, man. Cakes, man. Hey, give me my spaghetti with meatballs and special sauce. Nah, Who is? What you want? I got the delivery, man. Delivery or what? I'm bringing you the Star Wars episode. Yeah, you did all get over. Excuse me. It's me, Mickey Cakes, man. Get out of here. 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 Get Stop this right now. Wait, wait. Sorry. I forgot All about right. that. What was it? What's the half, fella? I got some chow mein. You've got some what? <laughs> Egg fried rice. Excuse me, buddy. You need to go. Hey, buddy, come <laughs> on out of here. Hey, goodbye. All right. Hey, Pasquale. <laughs> All right. So I just want to say 15 years before Paisano was wildin', I did it first. Uh... 
I guess. So that's me doing like pretty much all the voices except for Mickey. <laughs> I don't know why he keeps trying to deliver food. I think that was the actual skit. Like he kept trying to deliver food <laughs> at my youth group. Like he just kept coming in with different food to deliver. We kept throwing him out. <laughs> Get out of here. It doesn't really make any sense. And the funny thing is you hear him enter every time, you never hear him leave. <laughs> <laughs> like you hear the door open, but the door never shuts. Like I always just didn't make any sense. Anyway. So Oh, this is a joint yes. I did with Saran from Grits. So this actual song is actually the song that got me my record deal in a roundabout way. Mm. So I did this song with Tehran from Grits way before I had a record deal. They stayed at my house, actually my apartment, uh, when they had a show down locally, and that's how I developed a sort of a friendship. Real, actually, probably tighter with Tehran than Coffee. Not that to say I wasn't cool with them, but point was is um, I had this concept of this Christian rapper who wants to get on, but his whole rap is just about himself. Yeah. And so Tehran is sort of playing, like, he's putting me in place. So I sent that song in to Goatee, basically to get it approved, to get it approved by Goatee Records. But I had, a, I had an agenda. My agenda was knowing that they would have to approve it, they would have to listen to it. By listening to it, um maybe I would get a record deal. Because it was hard to get your demo listened to by anybody at a label. So I knew this would help me bypass all that. <clears throat> and in a roundabout way, that's exactly kind of what happened. That demo went in, and Todd heard it in somebody's, an intern's office while he was walking by the office. And oh. then he called me, basically ended up calling me, um, to see what I was all about, which eventually led to the record deal. So had Tehran not done that song with me, I never would have had the opportunity. I never would have been able to get my demo in, et cetera, et cetera. And so I always was very appreciative to him, who was basically messing with me, you know, as an indie artist with no record deal. He could have completely blew me off, but he actually did a show at an arena and then left that show after he was done to go to the studio with me that night. Wow. So it was really um, shout outs to Grits. Man. Yeah, they was uh, it was it was pretty dope. They were the first. Um, like the first Christian hip hop group that I I discovered. Yeah, so this is the song I wrote to my wife. I forgot about this one. Again, completely uncleared sample. <laughs> it's like a it's like a gospel group, like some some the Imperials or something like that. I remember Blake Knight did this beat, and we never cleared it. So come get us. <laughs> So at the time, I had barely been married. I think I wrote this pre-record deal. I got I got married in '98, so this would have only been I would have only been married about a year, maybe, if that. Um, 
So yeah, that's all it was. I just wanted to... Hold on. Pause that. Alright, much later, we are back. Um, yeah. It's been a, uh, a whole day of uh, shows, but uh going to finish up this podcast driving back to Denver. So I think we left off with this song. This one right here. Turn left onto new center point. <laughs> M series. And there's series. DJ Siri's in the house, y'all. It's like an annoying, it's like an annoying mom that keeps busting in. You guys want some hot pockets? Mom, get out. Or either that is like the DJ Clue. Yeah. DJ Clue, 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 Clue. You got, you guys want some hot pockets? Anyway, so the funny thing about this song is that like. One, I had I had done it previously before I had the record deal, and it was like cliche for like rappers to do like, "Yo, this is my girl" song. <laughs> yeah, and I thought like in the Christian market, a song about godly love, you know, like between a husband and wife, and like you know, just telling my story. I thought that would like translate really well. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's something to talk about. Like how. A, a godly marriage can work out and all this stuff. And it turned out that nobody wanted to hear that. <laughs> really? Well, I mean, they did. I mean, I remember it not being, like, my favorite song, but, you know, it was like, oh, cool, yeah. Well, yeah. I think what it is is, like, people listen to Christian music to hear about Christ. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's their main... They want it done skillfully and done in a way that's, like, cool. But they want to hear about Jesus. They want to listen to other artists... To hear love songs, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like going, you know what I mean? That's yeah. what I noticed was the main thing was that basically like, not that it was a flop, but I certainly it wasn't going to be the standout song. Yeah. And also it was just that it's not why you buy Christian music. Well, what about your wife? What does she think of the song? That was the other thing. She's like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> that was it. Like my wife has never ever been the type to be like. <laughs> oh, I'll write her poetry and I'll like. <laughs> you oh, know that's what I mean? cute. That's cute. Hey, she's like, that's cute. Hey, can we go to here to eat tonight? You know, it wasn't like. I I pretty much I wrote the song knowing that it would it would resonate more with the listeners than her. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's. That's the great thing about my wife is she's never been like. She was never the type to be overwhelmed with the glitz and the glam. You know. She was just very even keel, you know. Yeah. So, I I did it with that in mind, you know. But anyway, so I think that was, uh, yeah. So that was. This is love. And that guy who sang on it, his name was Amani, and he was actually re-singing it that somebody else had written. <laughs> you and your redos. Yeah. Well, a lot of the record was redone. That's the thing is Todd went back in and like beefed up a lot of the songs or recut them or XYZ. Cool. So the second to last song, They Know Not. I had this concept of going, it'd be dope to see the crucifixion from three different perspectives. Oh, I forgot about this one. Yeah. Forgive a father for they know not, then what they doing? Forgive a father for they know not, then what they doing? Even though we gonna spray and our soul is going, you keep 
pursuing divine bloodshed and contribution. Forgive a father for they know not that what they do. Check doing. Christ three times in my heart, get it hurts. I walk with the Messiah, walk upon the water. Internal slaughter, the Lord's last supper. I suffer inside to see the Son of God die. die. He said I would deny, word the booster out cry. Poison tongue, sung, boom, one pump, pierce, deep rip. My soul is downcast, so I ask for your grace. I get praise for my sin, I'm giving it to you. So he was given he was given the perspective of Peter. So Peter's rendition of what the crucifixion and the resurrection would have looked like. Second guy's giving the perspective of Judas. And then I did the perspective of Christ. So like a lot of times when I wrote, or I still do to this day, is I try to like present truth but do it in a like a new, fresh, different way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it would make you go, oh, I never looked at it like that. You know, if you've been told the same story over and over, sometimes it just giving it a different perspective makes a huge difference. These two guys were a group. Is this Corey here? No. No. I can't even remember their names. It's been so long. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember too. I remember their voices. That I remember those two guys because oh the first guy's name was I'm blanking out on his name. So they would do a lot of shows with us, me and Golden Child back in the day, or maybe it was like when I was just getting solo. They would open up. They were like a friend of a friend. And uh, I just liked their style. So I was like, all right, you want to do this song? You can do this perspective, you do the other perspective. Because I, I needed, it didn't make sense for me doing all three perspectives myself. Yeah, to have the different tones to give Exactly. You, yeah, okay. But I thought that was like a way to end it, way to end the record on like a, you know, a pretty spiritual note. And then yeah. the outro was like, So the idea behind the skits that run through the record is the greatest MC, and I always thought it'd be cool to compare Jesus to like the greatest MC because obviously he was, you know, I w I would read the scriptures and go, man, the way Jesus handled this is like a battle, you know, or the way he was able to use stories to tell truth or to use parables or, you know what I mean? It's so similar to what rappers do. Yeah. So, 
people would like go, why do you sound so like you're straight out of Queensbridge or something like that on the skit? Like, and the point was, it wasn't trying to be me saying it. It was as if these two guys were just having a conversation. And so... You were we playing just, a character. Yeah, we were playing yeah. a character, telling a story. I obviously dialed up the character to make it theatrical. Yeah, like I didn't talk like that. You know, I might use some slang, but nothing on like straight out of Brooklyn. Yeah, but so, because of that, I talked like that when I was in the eighth grade. <laughs> well, and I, you know, just, just to be honest with you, I was very influenced by New York. Like, my parents met in Bed-Stuy, and I'd been going up north since I was a little kid, and I loved East Coast hip-hop, and Florida is like a big New York transplant. So, like, yeah. I looked at New York as, like, the mecca, the epitome of of all things hip-hop. Yeah. So, I think in my way of, like probably making it bigger than what it was that was my interpretation of it you know what I mean which nothing is ever exactly what it is so at the end of the record um me and Golden Child back in the day before we did this before I did this record we used to do this thing called looking for the perfect beat or something like that and we would pretend to take different records and put them on an imaginary turntable and so he would act like he was beatboxing the beat so we would like go pull out and it'd be like he'd I'd drop it on the turntable and I would act like I was scratching it. But there was never a turntable there, it just was like this imaginary turntable. So then we would I would act like I couldn't find the right track and so then he would do a beatbox that was like a straight up like bass Miami bass song, like like he would do something like that. And so like growing up in Florida, you're always surrounded by a Miami bass. Like it's the only rap that Florida ever had. Yeah. distinct to Florida and we were never like being lyricists and MCs we were never like really you know we were never like oh we would kind of make fun of it you know basically yeah, so sure. when I was finishing up the record I was going to do a, I was talking to Todd and I basically said Todd who also grew up in Plant City knew about that music and I told him this sort of skit that we would do and I was like, I was like, I just yell unintelligible words <laughs> over music. It was like my way of spoofing that music. Well, this is like what became the great tradition of KJ accidentally stumbling onto things that were bigger hits than all the stuff I had like poured my time and effort into. So long story short, he was like, dude, let's make a song like that. He goes, but we'll make it a hidden track will make it hidden at the very end of the album to where if you're not paying attention and you just let it play, you'll find that song. I don't even know if I remember the hidden track. So, he hooked this beat up in maybe 10 seconds. Like, basically, he just hooked it up and I just went in the studio and just yelled ridiculousness over this beat. But I called the song Popcorn, Beans, and Rice. Because it just seemed like something dumb song that that Miami bass rap would do. (laughs) Here it is. So. Here we go. 
No sense whatsoever. So you were doing the hidden goof track way back when. Way back when. So that's why people go, oh, Seventh Avenue, you were more like serious and you weren't goofing around. It's like, no, I did the same thing I've always done ever. Like, there's always been playful, spoofy, tongue in cheek stuff, and there's always been serious stuff, and there's always been lyrical yeah. stuff, and there's always been super commercial stuff. So, like, that's when I started to realize, like, anyone that, like, it's like your first album or the first record that people discover about you is, like, your first memory. Yeah. And so you tend to skew it however you want to remember it. You know what I mean? You, you know, revisionist history, I guess, is the best way to compare it to. Yeah. But... That's when I just started to realize that you can't trust people's opinion because they remember whatever they want to remember and they're like this makes this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's just a it's a it's a rambled freestyle. Yes. Yeah, the that, words are it, unintelligible, they make no sense. It was that Quad City 69 yeah. Boys era. <laughs> church thing or if it's just an average person thing in 2.1 or what miles, what it is to merge onto i-25 north toward denver but i went and got booked for a show in like i'll, I'll never forget this is greenville south carolina and i played i think i drove all the way there and i played this youth group and i never forget the youth pastor was like oh are you gonna do that popcorn beans and rice song and i was like what it was yeah my kids love that song. And I'm like, wait, the spoofy song that was intentionally bad for the sake of being bad, like, that's their favorite song? He's like, yeah, this girl, she shot a video of herself in a tub filled with popcorn. <laughs> I'm like, hold on. Like, you're telling me I've just poured my guts and heart into this album. Yep. Like, spent two years working on it. 
you know, and I was pretty f- proud of the lyrics and whatever. And that is what people want. Whoa. And that's when that's when it, the light bulb came on was that people really just want fast food. That's really all they want. They want McDonald's of music. Like yeah. they don't by and large most people do not want gourmet cooked meals. They want to go through McDonald's drive-through and get a burger. Yeah, it's so sad. You know, and there's some people that appreciate lyricism and all this stuff. But then I just thought, I was like, man, like, I felt kind of bad. Like, you're telling me that, like, that's what's rewarded? Like, and, and it was my humor. It's not like I didn't put the song out and not, you know, realize what I had put out. But yeah. But then the light bulb kind of came on. I was like, well, maybe there's, like, a market for, like, spoofy, hidden songs. And that was, like, the birth of Coke Fried Cheeseburger or Mountain Dew song or, like, all these songs that's... <laughs> Sadly, yeah. still haunt me to this day. I end in the mountain But here's the here's the one thing: is like on this album on Seventh Avenue, people, I was doing shows and people would be like, "Oh man, you sound like Eminem," and I'm thinking, "How can I sound like Eminem?" Like, this was done before he came out. I, like I said, I started it in '98. Yeah. I started on this record before he dropped. I remember because I was living with my cousin. At the time, and my cousin and I, he was an Eminem fan. He just got introduced to, you know, the real Slim Shady, blah blah. And so I was listening to Eminem because my cousin had him, and you know, I I became a fan as well. But then I stumbled across your album, and you know, being a new believer. And I was like, well, I love hip-hop. I love lyricism. and um, But I probably shouldn't be hearing about a guy who killed his wife and put her in the trunk of his car. So this became a better alternative for me at that age, um, in that point in my life. And not to sit there and compare. I never sat there and be like, yo, he's like the Christian Eminem. But I was just like... Yo, you, you think Eminem is dope, but you should check out this dude named right. KJ52. Like, if you like him, you maybe you'll right. like him. Right. See, that was never my problem. I didn't have a problem with people going, if you want a substitute, here's a substitute. Mm-hmm. But my problem became going, people going, oh, he sounds like him. And I'm like, our rhyme patterns were totally different. No, yeah. yeah. You know, and tone wise, in my opinion, it was never the same. Like you, you, you know, you was doing this kind of, you know, slow yeah, hip hop. And if the funny thing was, <laughs> if you listen to my tone on Seventh Ave yeah. compared to Sons of Intellect, there's a distinct difference. I was trying to craft a voice, like yeah. I was intentionally trying to make a certain voice that would just sound stand out. It wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't trying to sound like anybody. I just knew. I it was like I took that sat that vocal tone and just dialed it up. Yeah. But the thing about that record was Todd didn't really work with me vocally as much as he did on the following records. And so on the following records, Todd would really coach me to articulate better and to like yeah. pronunciate and enunciate. Whereas on this, that was just me in the studio for mm-hmm. 70% of the record well, doing well, it myself. You know, I noticed like one of my favorite ones uh, was at the SOI. Like in your verse, it's just like like you could clearly hear that breathing. Yeah. Versus now, like 
And then over the years, I remember your record, it was like a little more clearer, right. smoother, yeah. it was more effortless, right. you know? Yeah, breath control. Mm -hmm. well, you know, the funny thing is, on that record, when I first performed it the first time, mm -hmm. like up in Nashville, I was completely out of breath. Yeah. And I realized that I had lost all my breath control just from not exercising from high school. So I was a good seven years out of high school, seven years removed from any sort of sports. Yeah. I immediately started running to get my, my breath control back. Mm, but tip. not that it really, I, I didn't do it consistently, but yeah. I knew that I had to get better just from a cardio standpoint, like, because I couldn't yeah. be that out of shape and out of breath on stage. I mean, that's something really good that you pointed out there because it's not just, oh, you want to be a rapper. No. You know, you want you can write and you can rhyme, but performing, yeah, you can be animated and whatnot, but health is a big factor to be, exactly. you know, to be in shape. It, yeah, it's funny because you think about it, oh, you got to be in shape to be a basketball player yeah. or you have to be in shape to be a football player, but to be in shape to be a musician or to be a... Uh, a rapper, an MC, like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. I wouldn't want to pay for a show and see a guy, like, can only do the first two lines of his song and then struggle breathing. I'd be like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, the funny thing, too, was that, like, after that record came out, I was still working a job. I still, uh, uh, I never forget, because I was, I was training to be a census worker. There wasn't enough shows for me to, like, hit the road I was training to be a census worker and I sat in my census class and this lady goes oh my gosh do you guys know who that is and I just want to put my head down and cry because she knew me from a show or something like I had a record in stores and she called me out in front of the whole class and I was like he's famous I'm like whoa <laughs> so like even though my record dropped in April I wasn't full time with the music till almost June June and July, which, you know, like, I got a record deal and still had to work two jobs, and, um, anyway. Man, you said it worked two jobs. I had to work two jobs. I was working, I was working as a flower delivery guy during the day, and I worked phone surveys at nighttime, yeah. which, in hindsight, here's what, here's what's, it's crazy how God works. I hated both jobs for the passion. And I wrote, I would write on my breaks as much as I could. I wind up, because of the flower delivery job, I end up learning how to like drive a car efficiently from point A to point B, which within a year completely transferred to learning how to like tour, getting from point A to point B driving. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like how to plot out a directions and not get lost and show up on time for a show and like all these things that like you wouldn't realize are important and then like my phone survey job taught me how to have an articulate voice on the phone which within a year I was having to cold call youth pastors to get shows oh. and then the census worker job taught me how to walk up to a door bang on the door and like engage somebody immediately and be able to be like hey how you doing uh, and get the information out of them which translated to being at shows to where I had to be able to, like, engage people that might be nervous or shy around me or, like, don't yeah. care about me. and It's crazy. 
like I went through that first year. It was terrible. I got my car evict. I got my car repossessed. I got my house evicted. Um, with ten thousand dollars in debt, like you name it, I had problem after problem after problem after problem. Got dropped by the label. Only to turn around and realize it was all for the good, you know. And you know, to hear people now go, "Oh man, that record got me through X, Y, Z." You know, at the time I was living in this tiny apartment, brand new married. You know, we were sleeping on couches. We were like sleeping in the van. I mean, you name it. Like it was rough. It was really rough. But I had to go through that to learn. Any, any other questions? No, it's just it's kind of fascinating to see like the behind the music, quote unquote. Like, where were you in your life, or what? I felt, to be honest with you, I felt very alone. I felt very lonely. Well, I mean, then I was lonely because I felt like, on one hand, I was living my dream, but I was getting so much backlash from the Christian rap community yeah. that essentially, like, I felt like I was completely on my own. Like, there was no I didn't have a crew to roll with. I didn't have, like, these guys lifting me up. I didn't have a bunch of people to be... You know, if anything, I was getting this pushback from people saying, oh, you're not underground enough. You're not a lyricist enough. You're not under... You know... But see, but it's not about the other artists. Because it was about people like me... And that generation that was the audience, yeah, the listener. But I couldn't see that. No, of course, yeah. At the time, you didn't see that, but now we can see that. Oh yeah. I mean, that was the foundation for me, right there. And also, like, you know, it was messages. It was like, oh, these these were little this Christian hip hop for a, a phase in my in my youth was that was my Bible study. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm going to put this KJ52 album, and this song is called The Hard Way, and I'm learning about, you know, sometimes you got to go the hard way, but Jesus got to, you you know, I'm going to put this cross movement album, or I'm going to put, you know, whatever, like, um, and like these songs were like mini sermons, and they translated and spoke my language, you know, it, it, you know, I understood it, and it, it engaged me. And then a lot of times I remember when, um, and, you know, Christians MCs would quote the Bible or quote scripture. It made me want to look it up. Like, yo, he, what is this uh, living water that he referenced? Living right. water, living water. What is that? And then I go find the scripture. It's like, oh, boom, 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 boom. Right. So it's like, it was, it's bait. Right. The funny thing was that first tour that I went on, first day to the first tour of that album played for 10 people I think three of them were part of the venue so I drove all the way to Augusta Georgia with my wife and my DJ first date and we played for nobody and I remember like half the kids responded to the altar call message I was like ah 50% got saved <laughs> and uh and I never forget too, like my, the, I'm sorry, that was that was the first tour I went out with my wife. Previously, a couple months prior, I had gone out and done like three dates in the middle of nowhere, and got my car keyed. What? On the first show, someone keyed all the way down my car at, in the restaurant parking lot, 
And I always felt it was like the devil just throwing down his gauntlet, like, oh, really? You really want this? Okay, here you go. Because I had taken my, my advance money and bought that minivan. That was my tour bus. Yeah. But, yeah, and, and the funny thing was, on that tour, that first summer, that, that, went, that tour of that first one that I went on, was when I started hearing the Eminem stuff. Yeah. And out of frustration, wrote Dear Slim that summer. I remember finding like a couple, a couple drafts about that. I was like, in my mind, I was like, oh, okay, that's what I'm getting. These comparisons, they're unfounded, they're unwarranted, they're not accurate. I got to defend myself. What a better way to do that by writing the response to him. Yeah. Like it's like my way of responding to the critics or the haters. But without addressing them, like, hey, you critics and haters. Yeah. But anyway. Well, dude, man, I appreciate you uh, opening a page of your journal there. <laughs> yeah. All right, y'all. Well, thank you for tuning in to Behind the Music with <laughs> Uncle Sweezy. Story time. Hope you guys dug it. Deuces. Peace. Peace. Again, yo, check it one, two, one, two. I'm strictly rocking this. Catch me busting out of the sarcophagus. Rhymes erupting from esophagus when I be knocking this. Cash boom backtracks the faxes. Jesus Christ keeps the world spinning on this atlas. Couldn't see him with some glasses. The facts is, I'ma hang around you like a necklace. Spitting the words, you must respect this. KG52 brand new. Strictly ripping crews. Pitting the words, why these cats never pay their dues. Got a lot of nerve, but you never deserving. I'm more than conquering. Why these fools is talking all the junk I'm serving. Strike flat, still tracks, and who's the next to be like this, 5-2 spitting rhymes so I can attach my mic, hold up, I spit junk and shoot the gift, and when I shoot the gift, dukes, I'm never gonna mess, better yet, coming forth when I be ripping sets, you can't understand it when I be ripping this, within a half a